podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. For our written articles, go to bcri.wordpress.com. And for sermons, go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. For comments and questions, email us at bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. All right, episode 12. Episode 12 of Train of Thought podcast. This is a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. <clears throat> We're going to continue our uh, read through and analysis of, let me turn my phone down, our analysis and read through of the ballot or the bullet. And we're talking about Malcolm X and black nationalism. We're going to finish that up today. And then uh, I don't know what we're going to do next week, um, but we'll figure that out when we get there. And then after next week, uh, when Eric returns from out of town, we'll uh, go over the doctrinal triage. So <clears throat> we'll, uh, Duran and I will discuss what we're going to do next week. But um, we'll make sure we let you all know ahead of time so you can be ready for it. Again, um, I got my boys with me at Eric Powers up in Maryland. And I got my boy Deron Gladden um, in California. And we're going to get into Malcolm X and Black Nationalism. As you know, from the last time we met, we were reading through <clears throat> the um, speech called The Ballot or the Bullet, and I have it pulled up here. Um, again, I want to thank Eric, because Eric does all the links in the comment section. Mm -hmm. um, Let me, you have it up right now? Yeah, it's up. So I'm actually reading the speech from American Radio Works. Dot publicradio.org. Um, so, <clears throat> so whenever Eric gets a chance to do that, he'll get the link up for you guys. You guys can feel free to put comments and questions in the comment section because we do have that up so we can see um, <clears throat> when you guys have a comment or a question and we'll try to answer that in real time as we can either uh, through our own what we say or we'll send, send links in the comment section because uh, we want to make sure that we interact with you guys uh, while we discuss this. <clears throat> so we'll get back into it. Um, the last time we did it, we were talking about the economic situation that Malcolm X was, was getting at in, in the black neighborhoods. And we kind of got onto the political aspect. And so that's where we're picking up at is the political aspect of <clears throat> what Malcolm X was getting at in his speech on the ballot or the bullet. And uh, again, you know, Duran and Eric, you guys just stop me. I'm just going to read through and you guys just stop me when you feel like something needs to be said, something needs to be analyzed and we'll go from there. All right. So <clears throat> here it is. Oh, another thing before I begin, you know, if you, if you're going to comment or ask questions in the, in the comment section, please be mature. Please be respectable. Uh, we will not answer any, you know, smart comments or anything like that. We're just 
pass by those. You know, we want to spark dialogue and discussion. Even if you don't agree with what we're saying, we want to spark dialogue and discussion. So please try to be respectable in your comments and questions. All right, so here we go. Part two. So Malcolm X starts off, and this is talking about politics, and it's kind of fitting what he's saying right here because the same thing is happening right now. He says, why is America, why does this loom to be such an explosive political year? As we all know, this is an explosive political year right now um, between the Democrats and Republicans. You've got Biden on one side, Trump on the other side. It's very explosive. We got rioting and looting going on. We have uh, this COVID going on. So it's mm -hmm. very, very explosive year. <clears throat> and so he says, why does this loom to be such an explosive political year? Because this is the year of politics. This is the year when all of the white politicians are going to come into the Negro community. <laughs> you never see them until election time. You can't find them until election time. They're going to come in with false promises. And as they make these false promises, they're going to feed our frustrations and this will only serve to make matters worse. I'm no politician. I'm not even a student of politics. I'm not a Republican, nor a Democrat, nor an American and got sense enough to know it. He says, I'm one of the 22 million black victims of the Democrats. So now he's specifically targeting one, one side of it. I'm one of the 22 million black victims of the Democrats, one of the 22 million black victims. And then he goes to the other side of the Republicans and one of the 22 million black victims of Americanism. And when I speak, I don't speak as a Democrat or a Republican nor an American. I speak as a victim of America's so-called democracy. You and I have never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. I do kind of want to stop there and get you guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, that last you have, phrase. You have uh, like intense applause in the historical speech there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So all his, the audience I was listening love, loves this kind of rhetoric. Right. I thought about pulling up the video, but I wasn't sure if it would come through. Well, they, the, they can access, they can access, uh, those listening can access the actual audio, I think, on the link that you're reading from. Mm -hmm. at the, and at the, the video, <clears throat> the video is actually available, I think, on YouTube, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. That's where I, that's where I first. Uh, yeah, it's on YouTube. Uh, yeah. So I, I actually um, watched it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do think what he takes away is kind of the political postmodern argument that switches the parties and the party mm -hmm. interest where you now have people that will say, well, the Democrats aren't so bad because they have transitioned away from Republicanism. And mm -hmm. then you have the Republicans say, well, the, the, the Republicans have transitioned away from the Democrats. Uh, I do think it's very interesting that what Malcolm <laughs> relates both to is he says that they're basically on the same team. And in listening to our episode, as I try to find encouragement, even in the things we're saying, uh, our brother Eric said the same thing that it's the illusion that all these entities are separate and fighting against each other when really they're all on the same team and they all have very similar political agendas. Uh, it's just a matter of who can frustrate you the most to get you to buy in to their specific agenda. And, you know, Malcolm, I, I will say to his credit, 
he not only saw that, but he did speak against it. He simply was not offering, I believe, a transcendent and biblical solution uh, to the problem, but he did identify it correctly. Now, I remember in, in our discussions, Duran, through, through texts, you know, because we talk a lot uh, through the text, I remember you talking about America being a corporate oligarchy. Absolutely. So can you, can you touch on that for our listeners so they understand uh, Sure, sure. That, yeah. that aspect of it. Yeah, it's funny because I came across, I actually came across an interview that uh, Dr. Ron Paul, he's a, is he, does he have his doctorate? I think I read that he was Dr. Ron Paul. I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay, but, but Ron Paul, the elder, he's, a, he's a, about 85 now. And he did mm -hmm. an interview with uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., so JFK's nephew, mm. uh, who is a lawyer at the moment. And I was reading an interview that they did together and he expressed, I'm summarizing his thought, but the article was very informative. He expressed that not only did he think some nefarious characters pushed his, uh, his father and his uncle out of office, but he also expressed that, you know, he essentially believed that that was kind of the end of, uh, you know, the political democracy that people think they're participating in. He didn't say that. Uh, specifically, but that's the flavor I got from his article. I say that because my, you know, my hypothesis builds on the fact that, you know, after his death, you have some of the same families, after JFK's death, his assassination, you have some of the same families, kind of interchangeable parts that you can find throughout all levels of government, uh, kind of running the narrative of the country, and also running the interests of the country throughout many of the election cycles. And then you also have where most of your candidates now have corporate stock uh, where they benefit financially and uh, through policy for the government's wealth as it flows through the corporations, the major corporations. It's also, you know, you ask yourself questions even during the whole COVID thing. Why, why have these big corporations, many of them haven't closed? And I just think that there's a lot of politicizing and political interests. Uh, I think the country that we live in now, I call it an oligarchy because it's ruled by the few. Uh, so that's the essential idea uh, that there are a few powerful families and the term, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, the term itself would come out of the whole French Revolution, Middle Ages, English uh, era. But, uh, but the idea of it being corporatized is probably a little newer uh, when you compare us to uh, older generations. But I don't believe we're a democratic republic in the sense of how we function. I think you have a few corporations and corporate families who, uh, who run the country and who literally shape the policies of this nation. And I, you know, I, if I probably would have said that six, seven months ago, people would have maybe turned this off. But I think now with, you know, the whole, all the baggage that's come along with COVID has mm -hmm. brought so many things to light. I think people are probably more, willing to hear that that's the case. But I think if you hear Malcolm X speak, I think he believed the same thing because he attributed the overall power um, of the government itself to their ability to come into the smaller communities and rule over them. So I think you do have uh, a corporate oligarchy that's taken place in this nation uh, with the illusion of a two-party state. And some might say that that's a conspiracy theory. Uh, you can say that all you want, but if you look at the agenda of both parties, their agendas aren't really that much uh, that much different when you get down to what they really want to accomplish in this nation. And you also talked about electoral college. I mean, in order for us to be a 
a true democracy would that wouldn't that not have to be in place absolutely you would have to have the popular vote would be kind of the 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 premier way in which you would elect your officials uh you know ancient rome tried it and obviously it failed because you can't have sinful man over a broad landscape of you know governance come up with a consensus as to how to rule the nation so the way this country was framed it was framed as a democratic constitutional kind of republic that I believe it has not realized its values along those lines, especially in the recent years. And I don't believe that that is for the reason of some ethnic cleansing. Uh, I don't believe that the so-called black American is a target of some backroom meeting where people are trying to figure out how to destroy his life. I just think the nature of money, money being the root of all kinds of evil, uh, the love love of money, money, the love of money, not money itself. Uh, Mm Because money can be used for good purposes. But the love of money, um, I I just think that you have those kind of things happening in this nation that are driving special interests and and what people are are saying out of their mouths and what, you know, professional sports leagues are tying themselves to. Uh, I think you do have a corporate oligarchy where people have their hands on a lot of money and uh, they're going to take advantage of whatever is going to keep or help them get elected into office. Uh, whatever that may be. So uh, it's a little more pragmatic. Now with the Electoral College, brothers, I mentioned, I mentioned that because when you have that, you have a representation for your state. So, you know, all these people telling you to get out and vote, most of the time you're not going to turn your state. We said it before when we were talking about the plagues and the ills of the so-called black community. Uh, One of the things we brought up, and I bring it up to young people all the time, is if you want to make any kind of impact in your community, it's going to have to be at the local level. If you don't like your community's policies, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, many people have been conditioned to think that presidential elections affect the domestic policy more than their local leaders. And it's why even as you see, uh, Brother Chris, even some discussions I've watched you engage uh, on an online capacity, if you see many people get frustrated with events in the local towns and precincts and counties where they live and they blame the president for those things. Right. As opposed to looking at, well, what party do my local leaders belong to and what policies are shaping the way that they govern or lack governance in their particular counties, precincts and cities. So I mention all that because I think that that gives context to what Malcolm is saying and why his black nationalism, why he proposed it as a solution uh, over and against the whole federal reach that we see today that I believe goes even beyond that. People lament federal government reach. I think what you have is the corporatization uh, of uh, the individual and the family and all the other things that come along with that. Yeah, I would, I would agree with most with what Deron's saying in the general sense when you're when you're comparing the you know the democrats and the republicans together when you're when you're talking about how they're both inseparably constrained to the world system you know the the system that the devil set up that he can that he he influences all the nations with the world system that the new testament teaches um is that we we uh hate as christians and we war against and so the thing with with malcolm it, you know this was 1964 when he did this speech and since then the Dem- even a Democrat party has just become even increasingly more liberal and yeah, far left. True. And so, 
you know, things uh, like, you know, abortion and how abortions tied to the Democrats goes back to even to his time and more African-American babies have been slaughtered through abortion than any other uh, people group, ethnicity. Absolutely. And so Republicans have generally um, campaigned against abortion and against same-sex marriage. But even Malcolm in 1964, he would have probably looked at, you know, same-sex marriage and, and taken exception to it. Absolutely. As a, as yeah. a man. But the, the thing that's disingenuine with him, with um, Malcolm X, is, is his, uh, his worldview that came from Islam mm-hmm. and, and confusing the issue and his, uh, what later would turn into critical race theory that really the problem is the systemic racism in Western culture and that he was warring against that Louis uh, Farrakhan um, propagated in the Million Man March because that's 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 this uh, black nationalism as it looks today would be Louis Farrakhan and the Million Man March in 1995 and that's completely different than Black Lives Matter yes. because Black Lives Matter has this far leftist um, approach where they would be for abortion they would be for same uh, sexism and homosexuality. Yeah. And all that stuff. And so you have this uh, downgrade even even from the things we take exception to with, you know, Malcolm X, his nation of Islam, you know, black power, all those uh, features of even critical that that he he's he was a major influence of critical race theory that he used Islam to go after Western culture to attack and, and bring out the fact that it really it's white supremacy in Western culture. That's the problem we're fighting against. But, but there's been an evolution from that with what's going on today that uh, is not as old school as even this stuff. Yeah, so- that, that's, a great, that's a great point, brother. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think when you look to what the BLM movement has been successful in doing is that they have been successful to deceive people into thinking that conservative, uh, quote-unquote conservative values are, are inseparably constrained to social injustices Mm -hmm. and so they make it seem like if you're conservative then somehow you are against the progress of the black ethnicity yeah that's Uh, where the i think that's where a lot of the confusion is coming right for sure yeah yeah and i only mention i know that the values seem to be pretty much distinct because even opponents who have argued with me have tried to pin me down say well you're that's because you're a conservative so they're identifying something that they may have a disdain for, but they're identifying something that's separate from them, from uh, themselves. Um, you know, the reason I believe we're going through this black nationalist speech is to let that side of the fence know that you're not even living up to those particular ideals that you oh, yeah. you're fighting yeah, there's, on that platform. There's, yeah, there's been a downgrade yeah. uh, even from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just to clarify, like we said the last time. Uh, on the last episode, we are we are not liberal or conservative in societal defining terms because a lot of times you'll hear some of the things that we say, and I know Duran has experienced it, and I have. I'm sure Eric has experienced. And the first thing, oh, you're a Trump supporter. And it's like, no, I, I never said that. You know, 
yeah, uh, I'm, or, I'm gonna... or, or you're conservative. No, we're, we're trying to be politically mature as defined by God's standards, not yeah, exactly. by, any, look... by any party affiliation. Yeah, we're, look, we're looking into the, uh, what's happening in the world system, and you have this separation in our country between these two major political parties. We're looking into that. And, and obviously, we, we want the slaughter of infants in the womb to stop. Yes. So we're going to, so we're, we're most likely going, I mean, we are going to vote for uh, the side that's going to try to do something to make abortion illegal. Mm-hmm. Like, cause like I said, more African-Americans uh, babies have been murdered through abortion than any other people group ethnicity. Yeah. I mean, it's, because, because on both sides, what you don't get to do is, is tokenism, you know, where you basically, put someone forward who would be ethnically stimulating uh, to the eye and then somehow try to gain the emotional um, consensus behind that individual. You know, Hmm. I I believe that that's called exploitation. So I think when Hmm. I see that done, you know, I see it more so done on the Democrat side, honestly. Um, But when I see it done on both sides, I'm just, I'm not for that. You know, I like, I don't, I don't listen to political commentary and go, Ooh, he or she is black. They're speaking clear. So now you all listen to them or I don't go, you know, they're black, no matter what they're saying, what they're saying, they're right. I just, I don't think that that is uh, like Chris said, I don't think that that's developing a certain maturation in how do I apply my Christian worldview to the world in front of me? Because when you're dealing with the game of politics, people are trying to influence your emotions so that they can gain your vote. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really is the game called politics because it benefits them financially. Yeah, both, uh, both sides do that. Exactly. Because right. they, they, so, want, they want to occupy the office. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I agree with Brother Eric. What he's saying is you have to look at the values. And, and like you said, Chris, the, 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 uh, the policies and the initiatives and say which represent that which corresponds. I'm speaking to the Christian that which corresponds to what the word of God commands from us and right. how we ought to live our lives. And I don't care if you call that the green tea party, the free party, whatever those values represent, I believe that we have to fix our minds and say, um, if, if I have a conversation or a voice uh, or a platform to deal with uh, that and, and elect that person to office, I would lend my vote to that. So, yeah. And, and, and go back to what you said about, um, the distinction between federal and local government. I mean, you have to be concerned with what's happening at, you know, the state level and also yeah. the local lo- level, you know, in your county that you live in yes. and uh, in the policies, you know, you know, your yes. governor of your state, et cetera. And those representatives that come from your state uh, because what, you know, again, I mean, they're bringing up this argument a lot, you know, that um, the Donald Trump's been in office for four years, but then uh, Biden's been in government for, you know over 40 years yeah so they're saying you know whose fault is it really i mean the guy's been involved in (laughs) many different spheres of of government yeah you know and so the the president has the track record should mean something i mean yeah the president has power but he's he's limited to what he can do especially if he's only there for four years you got to look at the uh legislative branch and the judicial branch right that's basic that's basic government that's what 11th grade government that's basic government right there and, so, that, as, and, 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 and that is not something that Eric Powers is beating down on people or Christopher Williams or Deron Gladden. If you look at, and I'm talking to the black nationalists, if you look at Malcolm's speech, he says the same thing. 
mm-hmm. that, that the issue with the, uh, with the so-called black voter, the African-American voter, is educating them politically on how the system works. Mm-hmm. And so that if you are going to be frustrated and try to solicit change, you have to direct that into the area of how do things actually work and not necessarily want to tear them down and create absolute chaos, confusion, exactly. and destruction in order to bring about change. Cause that never brings about change. Yeah. yeah. And people need, people need to do the research and like, like right. you're saying, Chris study how government works and right. don't, don't, don't get caught up in the propaganda that you're seeing on, on TV. Like take, take time yourself and, and study how it works. Um, so you can make an impact, you know, however you, you, you think uh, you're convicted as, as a Christian, but the, the main, the main issue again, like, you know, that, that I think in our day and age, 2020, um, is uh, the, the hypocrisy even that Malcolm X was, is talking about. Um, you, you, we really have to think about, you know, when people talk about humanitarian crises, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the country is systemically racist and white um, supremacy is the overarching theme of Western culture and all that. And then therefore, uh, the African-American is suffering. You have to understand and do your research back to this real issue of humanitarian crisis in our country is the slaughter of babies in the womb. More African-American babies have been murdered in the womb than any other people, group, or ethnicity. And that is the true American um, you know, crisis in our country. That, that is the real humanitarian crisis is, is abortion. Absolutely. And so, and so we, we, we want to, we want to go through, you know, go through this. And, um, but if you could, if you could take someone like Malcolm X, take him aside and show him the science, show him what is actually happening. Anybody really, yeah. that that's, that's, what's going to make an impact. Yeah. And, uh, it's got to stop. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's just perpetual murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I, I know there are so it's many, genocide. it's genocide. I, I, I want to take the time to give a, a special shout out to our brothers and sisters, our true brothers and sisters who are out there at the abortion clinics uh, preaching the gospel, man. Yeah, because yeah. that, that's, the, that's the real labor in terms of how do, I, how do I cause change in the midst of a holocaust? Because holocaust. that's the real holocaust that no one's talking about. Like I'm, sure. you know, I'm waiting for, okay, especially the National Basketball Association they believe themselves to have so much influence. And that to me is another issue that is just for them. They're, they're just disinterested. Like they don't want anything to do with that. Um, and let's be honest, it's because uh, the sexual immorality that runs rampant in many of these situations and these professional mm-hmm. leagues and uh, the desecration of the family and other things, they're just not interested in those narratives. Sure. Um, and and you, you have to do your research too, to go back and look at the Democrat party that um, is, I, I believe the Democratic Party, if you're talking about critical race theory, Democratic Party is definitely systemically racist from the beginning. And, and they farm African Americans to get the Negro vote. And I think Malcolm X is pointing that out here, but he's also mm-hmm. going after Republicans. But this is coming from, from someone who is um, Nation of Islam that has an is, Islamic yeah. you know, uh, worldview. And so as mm-hmm. Christians, we, t- we take exception to uh, take exception to that. But but I'm looking, at, I'm, I'm looking at this here. The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. That's because they farmed African-Americans in the city to get their vote mm-hmm. historically. It goes back to Woodrow Wilson. you got to do your research. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and so. if you if you if we talk about exploitation, if you if you think about uh, on a Democrat side, it's the exploitation of minorities. Yes, that, that's the vote that they're after. But on the on the on the right, on the on the right, the Republican side is the exploitation of the evangelical vote. Oh yeah, um, that's a really good point. Yeah, and then and then on both sides you have this. You know, I posted about the availability heuristic, and and uh, the availability heuristic is basically just a brainwashing technique to where if if all I show you is police brutality, if all I show you is rioting and looting. If all I show you is, you know, Trump is this, that, and the other. If all I show you is Biden, this, that, and the other. That's all you're going to be able to recall. Unless you have sense enough to go, as Eric said, and do your own research. But yeah, a lot of people, it's... a lot of people that I see on Facebook today, in my timeline, they're they're posting these things, is and and they're they're falling victim to this availability heuristic because they're having these knee jerk reactions to like Jacob Blake and they're having knee jerk reactions to Breonna Taylor, both yeah. of which now I sent you I sent you these Duran, both of which the the report is like 30 40 page reports on both of those where you can actually see what was really going on. This is why I always tell people you need to wait for the facts, wait for the facts. Criminal investigations don't happen in five minutes. Yeah, I, and that's, you know, in addition to that, brother, because I, I, I agree with you, bro, with you both. I would say the big, the big issue is, you know, the reason we do this podcast, and there's many reasons. One of the reasons is I am seriously compelled to, to implore people to please think and to please think for yourselves and, and you can't let people control your emotions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so, which is why we did, you know, one of the very first podcasts we did was on the constitution of man. I want you to know, you know, we want you to know what you're comprised of, how God has created man and what man consists of so that when people are appealing to you and specifically, I'll say this to the, professing Christians out there, you know how to deal with those things. You know, mm-hmm. are they trying to stimulate my emotions? Are they trying to uh, stimulate the inner man? Are they trying to cause me to focus on the world system and take my eyes off the Messiah? Uh, you know, these are, these are questions you have to ask yourself because so many are being drawn away into this kind of politicizing of man on an emotional basis under the false construct, I believe, uh, of man being a dichotomy. I believe that a lot of yeah, these abs- things are happening in, along those lines. Absolutely. Uh, a, a, a couple thoughts, um, because this yeah. is re- this is related to the paragraph that Chris is, is analyzing from Malcolm X's speech in the 1960s. But uh, one person posted on here, this is from Michael Wellen, uh, Margaret Sanger was a uh, eugenicist who wanted yeah. African-Americans exterminated. Right. She was yeah. proud of this point. Blatant racist, another product of the Democrat Party. Um, back to what Duran is saying, um, absolutely, like I, identifying both parties, doing your research about their history, studying you know, their policies, thinking about it, not getting wrapped up in the propaganda and the emotionalism you know, with, the, with the whole um, and romanticism about you know, wanting, thinking that one of these individuals is going to um, save us. Uh, I think a great place, and I posted it on here, is um, Francis Schaeffer's book, How Should We Then Live, is a great, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. great time. Exactly. Great ahead resource. Of its time. Yep. And he, he goes through what, so Malcolm X is taking exception to Western uh, culture, but he's not giving us what we need to actually uh, 
you know, to examine. So Francis Schaeffer during, lived during the same time. He's, pre he's presenting all of these philosophers. He's showing yeah. you all the different, mm -hmm. um, different parts of, of Western culture in the last 2,000 years and how we got to this point. Is, is an excellent resource. I put that up here on. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. there's another, another thing here. Um, uh, one person commented, is there one specific media source you recommend as the most, uh, as most medias are extremely biased and only show the same thing over yeah. and over and yeah, admit I, others like that? I actually uh, have, I actually have a chart that I'm looking for. I have a chart. It's a grid and it shows you those who are the ones in the green are the are the news sites that you should go to which includes like bbc and reuters the epoch uh -huh. times uh yeah. local news stations and then you have in the yellow they're, they're kind of leaning left or they're kind of leaning right so they're they're okay yeah. and then then you have the ones that are far left and far right that you should totally avoid but let me find that yeah you, link. you know you find that we can post that on the yeah you comments. know you find know that that's that's a very good question one point i would make up because i you know before the Lord saved me, I went to school for, for journalism. It was just a major I chose because I was interested in it. And I just remember being exposed to um, real journalism um, of the Walter Cron Cronkite years yeah. and, you know, Dan Rather and those. I think the best way to distinguish what yellow journalism is versus true journalism in the sense uh, where you're given true journalism is where you're given objective facts and who, what, when, where, why, how. Um, yellow journalism is sensationalized. It's entertainment based. I think sometimes you have to acquaint yourself with the old. So maybe even by visual example, because it's, it's available, look to maybe some of the older, um, you know, news anchors that have available. Like watch how a Walter Cronkite reports the Kennedy assassination. Um, and just watch the objective way in which he said what he said, uh, because news is meant to be presented to you in such a way so that you can draw your conclusions based on critical thinking. So I think when you don't see that happening, no matter what the outlet is, you'll find yourself in the realm of entertainment news, which is what most of what we have today. So I think these brothers can give uh, kind of a better you know, grid that they're saying that shows you what the natural way looks like. But I think the best way I have come to learn is by distinguishing the true from the false. And uh, there used to be a lot of true journalism out there. I don't really know that there's a lot left, but uh, you know, you can tell when you're being given an agenda uh, because it's meant to stimulate the emotions, the images are repetitious, and it's not really basing things on facts. You have to do a lot of digging in order to find out what, if what's being said is true. Um, so, uh, but, but I'm sure that, I'm sure that those things are out there. Yeah. Like for instance, um, in the neutral section, I'll just give you a list of those in the neutral section is Reuters, Associated Press, your local news stations, um, uh, the Economist, BBC, NPR, uh, Bloomberg. Those are like, pretty much neutral with minimum partisan bias. And then when you start going further to the left or the right, you have like the New Yorker, the Guardian, Washington Post, the National Review. Um, then you got hyper-partisan and then most extreme. So I, I put the link in the, the comment section so you guys can look at that. That's a really good question. And, and really you can, 
make your decision. I would I would stay in the green area um, to to get news that's not skewed one way or the other. Actually, my friend uh, William Carey Finchford he um, actually sent me that link uh, a few years ago, and it's been very helpful to me to make sure that I go and research when I do research on the news, because I don't really read the news a lot. But when I do read it, I go to those green sites and try to make sure that I get the, the closest to the facts as possible without yeah, I, too much yeah. leaning one way or the other. Yeah, and I think that's why I know probably some who don't know where it was going probably thought I was maybe rambling. <laughs> but but the, cor- the, the reason I'm trying to help people understand you live in a corporate oligarchy is because those extend to the media. Like there's, there are people who own media outlets. You know, I'll give an example. Um, you know, we're, we're streaming live on Facebook. You know, I, I trace their fact-checking uh, <laughs> constituency and it's largely tilted in the direction of one party. So they'll probably end up fact-checking this podcast. <laughs> but um, but I, I looked that up and I was like, this is bias. Like, like your, your donor list your constituency, you know, your board of governors, like it's all biased. And Mm -hmm. so you don't want your news to come from, uh, it can be biased in some ways, but it has to be as balanced in terms of what am I going to get? Will I get opposing views and will I get, which is why even on this podcast, when we, when we offer up a source, we give you the source. Like we tell Mm -hmm. you, we're reading a speech from here. This isn't, you know, story time. And we wrote something out or tore it out of a page. Right. Exactly. Give you the original source. Um, I, I also posted on here the, the uh, how then uh, how should we then live by Francis Schaefer DVD uh, series, which is a really good um, resource. So that's posted here just as well as his book and, and a little uh, um, a bio from Wikipedia on on here. It was on it was on YouTube. I think it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's back because I think it got pulled and then now it's back, I think. So and it's on Amazon Prime, too, I think. Yeah. Wow. All right, so All right. let me back, get back, back to, to the, the speech, speech here. <laughs> yeah, I, I skipped a, a, a few paragraphs because he kind of rambles a little bit at times. And so I don't necessarily have to read the whole thing, but I'm on a paragraph. He says, 22 million Black victims of Americanism are waking up and they are gaining a new political consciousness, becoming politically mature. And as they become uh, develop this political maturity, they're able to see the recent trends in these political elections. They see that the whites are so evenly divided that every time they vote, the race is so close, they have to go back and count the votes all over again. Which means that any block, any minority that has a block of votes that stick together is in a strategic position. And this goes back to what Duran was saying that he was trying to educate uh, uh, blacks on how to vote. And he says, um, or, or how the democratic system works. And he says, um, either way you go, that's who gets it. You're in a position, talking about the, the Black person, the African-American, you're in a position to determine who will go to the White House and who will stay in the doghouse. <laughs> like, like we said the last time when we were reading the speech, he doesn't mince his words at all. He just, he says what he needs to say. He says, you're the one who has that power. You can keep Johnson and watch, talk about Lyndon B. Johnson. You can keep Johnson in Washington, D.C., or you can send him back to his Texas cotton patch. (laughs) You're the one who sent Kennedy to Washington. 
You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. So when you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years and their uh, all, other all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they've brought it up and gotten it out of the way and now they bring up you. And now they bring up you. You put them first and they put you last because you're a chump, a political chump. In Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives, there are 200... So, can, I, can I interrupt here for a second? Go, go um, ahead. So what, what, was, what was Malcolm X's uh, political affiliation then? So he, he took exception to both Democrats and Republicans. I think he was, I think he was separatist. And he was trying to build a black nationalist kind of coalition. So I, I don't, I, I think he was, he was more looking at how can I use foreign policy to impact U.S. government policy. Is it, would you guys say that Louis Farrakhan uh, shares the same sentiment or is he more tied to? No, I don't I think so. I wouldn't no, say I, that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I mean, now I think, I think that there are some things that are similar in terms of, you know, what you said with like the conscious thought and what happened with the, uh, you know, the million man march. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I, I think Malcolm more evolved to the point where, especially this is the end of his life. I think he was more showing them like, look, America failed to do all these things. And so now it's time for the global conversation to take place in such a way so as to build a coalition for the black nationalist vote to be more powerful than any vote. I really and think it, that's what he it, was and his agenda, like his his uh, agenda, to ultimately accomplished was to make uh, the United States an Islam state. Would you say? I or, would say it had. I would say it had to be if he wanted to be a faithful, quote unquote, Muslim. But he may have been more ecumenical, just because of his nationalism. Because I, even I, at I the beginning was, of this speech, Louis Farrakhan seemed a little more ecumenical yeah, in some of his speeches, especially of late. Yeah, yeah. He has the but, benefit of kind of like. I guess living longer. Yeah. Where where a man who's already, you know, wicked and apostate, he's just he's probably gonna make some concessions. Mm -hmm. Um I think I think with Malcolm, I think Malcolm he was more interested in the black coalition that crossed religious and party lines. Mm -hmm. Um so he was more like he was more of a functional utopian, you know, of a of a utopian mindset where like, you could you could you could set up a black state. Like you a know. utilitarianism, sort of. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I don't think. As a representative of of Islam, ultimately. Yeah, I think that would have yeah. been his ultimate. Of course, it would have had to have been, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but he would have settled for a black state that was, um, that was politically diverse in terms of you know whether he had so-called confessing Baptists or Christians or Episcopalians or Methodists, he would have sure. been okay with either. Mm -hmm. All right, so he goes on and he says, in Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives, there are 257 who are Democrats. Only 177 are Republican. And, and this was at that particular time. I don't, 1960s. I don't, yeah, I don't know what it is right now. Yeah. 
But he says in the Senate, there are 67 Democrats, only 33 are Republicans. The party that you backed controls two thirds of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and still they can't keep their promise to you because you're a chump. So that's a very interesting statement. So well, he, yeah, because well, Pelosi's Speaker of the House, right? I mean, isn't she? Yes. Okay. I mean, he's what he's saying is he's taking exception to uh, spe- specifically Democrats here that had basically farmed African Americans to get the vote, made promises to them that they can't keep, and he's calling. African-Americans in the 60s who voted for Democrats, chumps. His words. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's his words. You know, those are his words. And then and, you have applause, applause afterwards. And, but, but, but here's the thing. You have the modern Democrat mindset that is, I believe, merchandising and sanitizing Malcolm, which is why I was like, we, we have to pull this yeah. up. Because, yeah, no, I, I, agree, I agree with what you're Because yeah, the, fo- the photo op is the, you know, <laughs> basketball players with the book open reading Malcolm. Yeah, it is. It is really important to go through these features, go through these these men's speeches. Look, you yep. know, go go through James Cone. Talk yep. about critical race theory. Talk about Black mm-hmm. liberation theology. Talk talk about all the distinctives with these things and examine them according to what the Bible teaches. Are they faithful to what the Bible teaches? Yep. And and here you're seeing, um, just with with Malcolm X, you're seeing um, Islam. You know, um, and then. They, they called the million man march with Louis Farrakhan. They called it the, the day of atonement. Yep. And so it's very going, theocratic. It's going very back, theocratic. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a wrong view of the atonement. Yep. Um, uh, that's not what the Bible teaches about, about how someone is saved from the wrath of God and back to black liberation theology, who James Cone was heavily influenced by Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, they they redefine the doctrine of the atonement, specifically mm-hmm. James Cone. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if if you guys who are listening, if you uh, you can go back to episode nine, and we did a critique of James Cone. Um, so you can go back and listen to that if you, if you need a refresher on that. Uh, so he goes on. He says, anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time and you're dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, <laughs> you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. And, and we see this. We see this. We see ladies this even now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Malcolm X's black nationalism. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's that's this is why I wanted it read, because I wanted people who are with their fists in the air claiming that Malcolm X is the forerunner. Even BLM would claim that he is the forerunner to their movement. You have been played. Now, it's up to you if you continue to want to be played. But you to this point, you've been played. And that's what he's saying. He said, you can you can keep continuing to identify yourself with the people that are playing you if you want to. He said, but in his eyes, you're a chump. And not only are you a chump, you're a traitor. Right? And this is coming straight from Malcolm X's mouth. Yeah, and we don't want people okay. to fall Malcolm like, X. We want to point out the contradiction here. Oh, absolutely. Right, but, but they, like, can't, they can't appeal to him. But, but like you said, uh, Duran, people today, they pull out Malcolm X books and they wear Malcolm X shirts and they have their fist up in the air. Oh, but, yeah. but, they're, but what they're presenting to us is a sanitized version of what Malcolm X really thought. 
Right. And what I'm saying is, as, as Brother Eric is alluding to, Malcolm X's thought is completely inadequate, completely mm-hmm. insufficient. And he succumbed at the hands of those to whom he was trying to lead out of this stuff. So right. it's completely futile. So I, I don't believe that there is any real benefit to following his, his nationalism. What I'm after is people who are politicizing his appealing to him today, yeah. appealing to him today and, in the movements and, and, today, and, and think they follow the same train of thought. It's completely different as we're going through this. We see this right. absolutely, and I'm showing you how they are. They they are. I mean, for lack of a better word, they are playing you. Uh, they right. really are. So he says, "What kind of alibi do you come up with?" They try and pass the buck to the Dixiecrats. Now, back during the days when you were blind, deaf, and dumb, ignorant, politically immature, naturally you went along with that. But today, as your eyes come open and you develop political maturity, you're able to see and think for yourself, and you can see that a Dixiecrat is nothing but a Democrat in disguise. Mm. You look at the structure of the government that controls this country. It's controlled by 16 senatorial committees and 20 congressional committees. Of the 16 senatorial committees that run the government, 10 of them are in the hands of Southern segregationists. On the tw- of the 20 congressional committees, committees that run the government, 12 of them are in the hands of Southern segregationists. And they're going to tell you and me that the South lost the war? He says, you today are in the hands of a government of segregationists, racists, white supremacists, who belong to the Democratic Party, but disguise themselves as Dixiecrats. A Dixiecrat is nothing but a Democrat. Whoever runs the Democrats is also the father of the Dixiecrats, and the father of all of them is sitting in the White House. Yeah, so this is... Hey, you know what's crazy? Hold on. He called historical switch of, 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 of prominent... (laughs) <laughs> Democrats to the Republican Party in some respects. I mean, he he, Man, he called all no, this stuff I'm, out, dude. I mean, yes. the his the historical <laughs> redactionism, reductionism, uh, changing history, whatever you want to call it, what they're doing today. I mean, this guy, you know, was staunch <laughs> against the Democrat Party. He was. He identified, he identified them as being the racist party. And, and, and I, I have to agree with what he's saying here. That, he's that's absolutely correct. Yes. W- what happened? It's 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 people it's people not well, doing the research. No, they didn't like Malcolm and what he said because we can you can see you can kill somebody in thirty years out from killing them, sanitize them. Mm-hmm. They didn't like what he said then, so a year later they killed him, and they comprises a whole lot of people. But they, a whole they, lot. Edit, they, they edit, edit, they do, uh, they sanitize books. them. Yep. They edit oh, no. textbooks. They don't represent right. these things. They skip over it. Um, so I'm they, setting this before both my brothers revisionistic and history, man. Yep, I'm setting this yes. before brothers and sisters within the, the body of Christ of all ethnic persuasions. I'm definitely setting this before the so-called black community because I love you and you need to really see for yourself these things. Um, and, and then, I mean, I guess you have to let the chips fall where they may, but I'm doing this because I love you. This is dangerous. It's as dangerous as when Malcolm was saying what he was saying, except imagine actually standing for Jesus Christ and his truth and leading people, uh, 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 you know, to him. That's even more dangerous. But I'm saying I'm compelled by love to show you that you are being played. Mm-hmm. Like we went through this speech three episodes in a row. Uh, or I believe this is the second episode the second. Where we alluded to it mm-hmm. to show you that, I mean, you're, you're being played. You're being played in your history curriculum. You're being played – 
in the in the entertainment and professional sports leagues that are shoving this down your throat. You're being played by your politicians, and you're definitely being played in the media. Yeah, now, it's up use, to you if you're going to let this keep going on, but you're but you're being played. Yeah, but here's the skin, here's the skinny. They they take they take um. They take the laziness of Americans today and, and people watching TV and yes. taking every, learning their history from, from what you guys were talking about, like, you know, the, uh, the propaganda on, on news, on yep. bo- really both sides are not giving you uh, the answers that you need to hear, not giving you the actual reality of what happened historically. And so Absolutely. that's so, 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 they, so they flood you with technology. Yep. And, you know, like you and, and, and it's uh, it's uh, a stomach in um, in uh, in entertainment, in yep. movies, in sports, you know, uh, yep. across the board, man. It's very shallow. It's crazy because we have so many resources and so much technology. And it's uh, the way that, um, you know, the elitists use it is it's making people dumber. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, because 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 the the assumption is if I have more information, then I'm digesting that information. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a, it's a false assumption. If you're not simply having it at your fingertips doesn't mean that you're using it the right way, because um, what good what good is it? I've said it before. What good is having all the information if you're not going to use it to research? And right. so and I, I, I have made the argument because I'm always going to bring it back here on this podcast. I've made the same argument toward the modern evangelical movement that they have all this information and you choose not to follow it. You choose not to research and look at the word of God on its own and let it let 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 the word of God speak for itself in terms of drawing out the author's intended meaning. And instead, you would rather criticize men who are doing that. That's how you end up here. So I don't want to hear any more, you know, Twitter posts, Facebook posts of saying men are weak in the pulpits when you're keeping the Bible and critical thinking from the Christian. And I don't want to hear that anymore, you know, because honestly, it's what you have in the BLM movements and the political movements that you have in modern evangelicalism. The same people telling you that they wish you were stronger are the same people making you weaker. Mm -hmm. And so that's the issue. And that's the issue when you're dealing with these movements as well, yeah. that they're telling you you're weak, you're oppressed, but it's they're contr- suppressing the research that would cause you to say, yeah, I feel like I'm being lied to. Yeah, right. they're suppressing, <laughs> suppressing the, resource by, uh, the, uh, the resources by controlling the, um, how the information is dispensed through multimedia, through technology. I'll never forget it. This is a perfect example of this. When I was a little kid. Um, I went to Arkansas, and I wanted a Popsicle. I went to the, um, the movie theater. It was orange. And then I wanted some Skittles and they were all orange. It was like invitation Skittles and everything was orange. And I didn't have, I didn't have a variety. I didn't have any other options. I got, I got sick of orange because the stuff was just not getting there. Yeah. 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 But I mean, yeah. that's, but that's, that's, but that's a good point. But that's what the flooding of information does. We have, as you guys have said, we have so much technology. At and they're our controlling and what, what they're so flooding much- you with. Yeah, but I mean, and that's that availability heuristic that I just posted, and how it affects your decision making. But yeah, if you if you what I'm what I'm getting at is the fact that people now they develop their arguments based on hyperlinks and 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 quotes, you know. Yep. So, but then when when all you have to do is ask these people the right questions, and you dismantle their arguments because they don't have any real argument. Yeah, they they hide behind the hyperlinks and the quotes, 
and yeah. and the stuff they got out of the books but when you ask them to explain it further they can't because they're dependent upon this uh plethora of information to to develop their viewpoint but they're actually not doing the research and the study that's necessary for it to be ingrained in their mind so that they can argue it well absolutely absolutely yeah and, and you know honestly you know brother eric and i have talked about it you know, a lot of this takes courage. And I'm talking about the kind of courage that the spirit of God gives, uh, that God gives to uh, to those who believe on the sun. Uh-oh, I know when to stop now. I know when I don't keep talking because it just no, no, makes no. it worse. <laughs> what, what'd you do? What, you no, no, I just put a, I just put a picture of God. Uh, posted a link of orange Skittles. I mean, I'm not kidding, man. It seemed like everything was orange. I just got sick of the. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> this, this dude is a nut, man. So I do. I know when <sighs> I see Chris laugh like that, I'm like, I'm not. I'm not continuing because I, I I sound crazy. I'm good. Go ahead, bro. <laughs> um, I don't remember what I was saying, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, okay, we can go on. Let's go. Yeah, on. let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> so he says uh he talks about um he says i'll say it and i'll say it again you got a president who's nothing but a southern segregationist from the state of texas they'll lynch you in texas as quick as they'll lynch you in mississippi only in texas they lynch you with a texas accent <laughs> in Man. mississippi they lynch you with a mississippi accent mm. The first thing the cracker does when he comes in power, he takes all the Negro leaders and invites them for coffee to show that he's all right. And those Uncle Toms being used wrongly, uh, those Uncle Toms can't because pass he up was the, the protagonist. Right. Uncle Tom was mm -hmm. the protagonist. And those Uncle Toms can't pass up the coffee. They come away from the coffee table telling you and me that this man is all right similar to how some evangelicals can't get away from the donuts, but I digress. Um, cause he's, cause he's from the South and since he's from the South, he can deal with the South. But you know what, you know, what's interesting is that is didn't, uh, historically didn't Lyndon B. Johnson. He, uh, he initiated a lot of the civil rights, civil rights stuff that Kennedy was trying to, uh, like, didn't he sign off on a lot of the civil rights bills? And I think so. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, it, it's just interesting to me that, that Malcolm X is saying that when I think a few years later, Lyndon B. Johnson signs off on a lot of those policies. I think, I think I'm looking ahead a little bit and I think he explained, he kind of goes into why he's saying that. Yeah. Cause something's coming up. That'll be very familiar to you, Duran. <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about, but he says, cause he's from the South and since he's from the South, he can deal with the South. Look at the logic that they're using. What about Eastland? He's from the South. Why not make him the president? If Johnson is a good man because he's from Texas and being from Texas will enable him to deal with the South, Eastland can deal with the South better than Johnson. Oh, I say you've been misled. You've been had. <laughs> you've been took. The famous line from <laughs> yes. the movie. And yeah. Denzel, Denzel go a little further and say, you've been hoodwinked. You've mm -hmm. been bamboozled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He says, I was in Washington a couple of weeks ago while the senators were filibustering, and I noticed in the back of the Senate a huge map. And on this map, it showed the distribution of Negroes in America. 
Wow. And surprisingly, the same senators that were involved in the filibuster were from the states where there were the most Negroes. Mm -hmm. Why were they filibustering the civil rights legislation? Because the civil rights legislation is supposed to guarantee boarding rights to Negroes from those states. And those senators from those states know that if the Negroes in those states can vote, those senators are down the drain. The representatives of those states go down the drain. And I will tell you this, if you think that they're not strategizing on you right now, as Duran has said several times just now, you are being played. If you, don't think if you don't think they're using the same strategic things that Malcolm X is talking about here, you're being played, okay? Because that's what they're doing. They're analyzing demographics. They're analyzing neighborhoods. They're analyzing education level. They're analyzing everything so they can figure out how to keep you and your black vote. And 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 just like just like uh, just like Mike brought up, um, you know, he brought up uh, Margaret Sanger. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same kind of Darwinistic false construct that they hold. Where I have said it that if you're offended and if you're offended by nothing else as the so-called black community, um, you should be offended that they believe you don't have the intellectual capacity to actually come to decisions on your own, where you have to have professional sports participants tell you <laughs> how you need to think and how you need to vote because you can't do it all by yourself. So the only way that we can relate to you is through hashtag campaigns, t-shirts, the kind of stuff you do with, uh, with trying to get people into an emotional frenzy at a rock concert. So they don't think that you have the capacity to think. Last week we discovered, or a few weeks ago, when we looked at the manifesto, they don't believe that the black male has the capacity to lead his family. Today you're finding out that they don't believe you have the capacity to make a vote the right way, which is why they're paving the way for you to vote for the people they tell you to vote for right. instead of thinking about no i want to vote for who i want to vote for along the lines of the issues and values representative of my people throughout the generations mm -hmm. and so i would say that there's one thing and chris and i will talk about it uh you know in the in the uh, the weeks ahead when we talk about the theology is even though i disagree with a lot of the theology that's come out of the uh, so-called african-american church there was the assumption of family values mm -hmm. that assumption has been present and that assumption is present because of what took place during the eras of slavery, of uh, Western slavery. So uh, I'm just saying, if you, you can go ahead and wear the T-shirt, go ahead and do whatever you feel like you need to do with your Twitter campaigns and your Facebook campaigns. But I'm just telling you that you're being played and at least my hands are washed because I've told you that you are. Right. Right. So I'm going to skip down a little further. Um, I got I got bailed out here. One person commented, "Orange is the color of the Reformation." So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened to me. <laughs> that's why I'm so reformed. I hope the orange on my head isn't bothering you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> I'm like, hey, whatever you guys gotta tell yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he goes on. He says, uh, "Whenever the Negroes keep the Democrats in power, they're keeping the Dixiecrats in power." This is true. A vote for a Democrat is nothing but a vote for a Dixiecrat. I know you don't like me saying that. I'm not the kind of person who come here to say what you like. I'm going to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. And we're going to do the same thing on this podcast. We're going to tell you the truth, according to God's word and God's standard. 
and according to a biblical worldview. So he says, up here in the North, you have the same thing. The Democratic Party, they don't do it that way. They've got a thing called gerrymandering. And I'll post a link to what gerrymandering is. Mm -hmm. They maneuver you out of power. <clears throat> Even though you can vote, they fix it so you're voting for nobody. They got you going and coming. In the South, they're outright political wolves. In the North, they're political foxes. A fox and a wolf are both canine. Both belong to the dog family. Now you take your choice. You going to choose a Northern dog or a Southern dog? Because either dog you choose, I guarantee you, you'd still be in a doghouse. <laughs> this is why I say it's the ballot or the bullet. It's liberty or it's death. It's freedom for everyone, freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody. America today finds herself in a unique situation. Historically, revolutions are bloody. Oh yes, they are. They have never had a bloodless revolution or a nonviolent revolution. That don't happen even in Hollywood. You don't have a revolution in which you love your enemy, and you don't have a revolution in which you are begging the system of exploitation to integrate you into it. Revolutions overturn systems. Revolutions destroy systems. A revolution is bloody, but America is in a unique position. She's the only country in history in a position actually to become involved in a bloodless revolution. The, Rev the Russian Revolution was bloody, Chinese Revolution was bloody, French Revolution was bloody, Cuban Revolution was bloody, and there was nothing more bloody than the American Revolution. But today this country can become involved in a revolution that won't take bloodshed. All she's got to do is give the black man in this country everything that's due him, everything. He says, I hope that the white man can see this because if you don't see it, you're finished. If you don't see it, you're going to become involved in some action in which you don't have a chance. We don't care anything about your atomic bomb. It's useless because other countries have atomic bombs. When two or three different countries have atomic bombs, nobody can use them. So it means that the white man today is without a weapon. If you want some action, you've got to come on down to earth and there's more black people on earth than there are white people. And so he goes on. And he starts getting into the, the black preacher style. I only got a couple more minutes. <laughs> he says, the white man can never win another war on the ground. His days of war, victory, his days of battleground victory are over. Can I prove it? Yes. Take all the action that's going on this earth right now that he's involved in. Tell me where he's winning. Nowhere. Why? Some rice farmers. Some rice farmers. Some rice eaters ran him out of Korea. Yes, they ran him out of Korea. Rice eaters with nothing but gym shoes and a rifle and a bowl of rice <laughs> took him and his tanks and his napalm and all that other action he's supposed to have and ran him across the Yalu. Why? Because the day that he can win on the ground has passed. Now, skip the next part. He's just talking about how the white man gets brave when he actually has weapons to use. Um, but he says, so it's the ballot or the bullet. Today, our people can see that we're faced with a government conspiracy. This government has failed us. The senators who are filibustering concerning your and my rights, that's the government. Don't say it, Southern senators. This is the government. This is a government filibuster. It's not a, it's not a segregationist filibuster. It's a government filibuster. 
Any kind of activity that takes place on the floor of the Congress or the Senate, that's the government. Any kind of dilly-dallying, that's the government. Any kind of pussyfooting, that's the government. Any kind of act that's designed to delay or deprive you and me right now of getting full rights, that's the government that's responsible. And anytime you find the government involved in a conspiracy to violate the citizenship or the civil rights of a people in 1964, then you are wasting your time going to that government expecting, expecting redress. Instead, you have to take that government to the world court. This is what you were talking That's about, foreign policy. To, yeah. right. And accuse it of genocide, which is what Eric was talking about, and all of the other crimes that it is guilty of today. Okay. Did you want to add anything to that? Are you good? I I think it I think it touched on everything that we kind of mentioned. But yeah, I hope that I mean I hope that lends clarity. You know, the one thing too, as you listen to him, um, you know, I think one thing Malcolm did not see coming, and I think he saw it coming as he came to the end. But mm -hmm. probably where he despaired, just according to auto uh, autobiographical accounts, is. You know, I, I keep mentioning the people that he championed, uh, the people that he did this for, the people that he gave credit to in the beginning of the speech uh, had a hand in taking him out and yeah. essentially replacing him um, <clears throat> by their hands of violence. They went for a, a bloody revolution. Mm -hmm. You know, I just I think those points get lost in history as well. Um, and a good a good source I can't recall if it has language. I don't, I don't believe it does, but who killed Malcolm X on uh, Netflix? If you have Netflix, it's a oh, very, yeah. very, it's a good very well done documentary um, <clears throat> that, that it's investigative in nature and deals with firsthand witnesses and the progression of events that not only led to his assassination, but uh, who were the key players in that assassination. I, I think that will help temper your black nationalism and your desire to stir up the, the fan of flames uh, against those who really have no part in committing atrocities. Mm -hmm. uh, I take exception to the movement because it strikes against the image of God and man. And so anytime you're going to corner and circle people of any ethnicity and blame them for things they have not committed, uh, I believe that that is one of the extreme and chief acts of cowardice. And so you know, that, that personally has to stop and somebody has to have the courage enough uh, beyond our generation to stand up and say that it needs to stop. And, <clears throat> right. You know, I, I just, I see so much of that, you know, so much of that ethnic prejudice, uh, you know, that, that they might accuse uh, Caucasians of, I see it happening uh, against them as well. And I just, I believe that eventually, you know, that's going to catch up to anyone who's trying to uh, promote ethnic supremacy. Right. And, and this is where <clears throat> the government was, you talked about the government involved having their hands in his assassination. I'm, I'm going to skip this part, but he talks about skipping. Real quick, real quick can, I can I make a comment about the, uh, the bloodless revolution? Of course. Yeah, there's, um, it's interesting here when I was, when you were reading that, Chris, I was noticing, uh, you know, you said there's, you know, there hasn't been a bloodless revolution, but we can be part of it. There was one, it was called the Glorious Revolution, the Bloodless Re Revolution, where, um, where are we at here? Yeah, uh, where is it? it was the uh, replacement of James II as ruler of England, mm. and then uh, William of Orange, incidentally, <laughs> Orange was involved. 
but but um but that was i mean it was it en- ended up having casualties though so he's he's right here in what he's saying but it's interesting like he 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 says here but today this country can become involved in a revolution that won't take bloodshed all she's got to do is give the the black man in this country everything that's due him everything so it seems like he doesn't want that violence that's usually associated with him. As we no, toward, toward, toward the not, end. Not, yeah. I, I, wrote a, I wrote a long, I wrote a long uh, Facebook post. I could probably dig it up again at the beginning of this whole BLM recent wave, I think about three months ago, where mm-hmm. I was trying to make that point that Malcolm X personally progressed beyond the by any means necessary that would have been equated with uh, we need to become violent because I think he was so confident in that generation that he could uh, successfully bring about a prosecution and charges uh, toward those who were held, uh, who were guilty and held responsible. What I have an issue with is imputing that same guilt to those in this. Oh generation yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Nothing yeah. to do with that. I agree but, with what you're saying there. You know, that generation was still alive. So the Jim Crow yeah. generation, those who were lynching, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Negroes in the South, like they were still alive during that uh-huh. time. But I want to point out too that the the change though, because you have Malcolm X here, what he's saying, um, mm-hmm. he's not he's not he's not appealing to violence per no. se. And and then you have uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who's who's renowned for being uh, against violence, non-violent. yeah, peaceful in, protests, in, in his protests. Yeah. But you see, but you see, although James Cone is appealing to these two men. When, I, when we went back there, you know, Black Liberation Theology, when we critiqued it, we, I pointed out some things from his book where he has a different understanding or different agenda. Yeah, he, so did the Panther. The Black Panthers did as the, well. He wants, he wants to see, um, you know, the white cracker, the, you know, the white man lynched. Yeah. And, and uh, it is a costly experience to him, reconciliation, yeah. until the white man experiences what – you know, the black man, and again, white and black are used sardonically. They're not ethnicities, right. uh, but they're used in our culture. So we, we use those terms, but what right. he's, uh, he's, he's uh, deviating away from what Malcolm X, what you're saying it towards the end of his life and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When it comes to violence. Yeah. Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm left paramilitaristic kind of thinking because he trained a paramilitary that eventually came after him. Uh, and so, so for him, fruit, you know, even uh, fruit of Islam, the fruit of Islam. And even even when he went to Cuba to visit Castro, he was turned off by a lot of the uh, the bloody revolution stuff that him and Shay were involved in. If you read some accounts uh, where he started to visit other nations, the violence to him was a turnoff because he wanted he actually wanted humanitarian progress. Now, you and I know that that in his worldview can only be achieved through Islamic theocracy and jihad. But in our worldview, it, it's only achieved by the Lord Jesus Christ and his, and sure. his kingdom. But, but I, I believe that he was more humanitarian, but wanted to hold accountable every nation that had their hand in, uh, in the destruction of his personal ethnicity and his yeah. quote unquote people. But he wanted it nonviolently. He felt like, he felt like that the, the, the black state nationalism could stimulate the intellect uh, to the point where you could you could literally get people to use their minds uh, to not only achieve great things but to bring down oppressive systems. Use their minds, mm-hmm. and so so he was he was interested in that. Today, the interest is using entertainment platforms. It's right. not really it's not really utilizing 
people's minds to come to an agreement or opinion one way or the other. It's, you know, we want you to utilize entertainment. Uh, well, entertainment has, is a major influence in our culture. So absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's the, the best strategy to use. If you want to brainwash people, you do it, through inter, do it through entertainment and media. Yeah. So I, so I can say, because I and my brothers here with me hold the Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27 mm -hmm. um, specifically, and all that goes on in Genesis one to 11 and all that has happened since that, that book, all the way throughout the whole Bible, uh, the Imago Dei, man created in God's image, that I don't believe people are stupid, lower primates. Uh, I don't believe that they can't think for themselves. I believe that uh, the mind has, is, is affected by total depravity, uh, mm -hmm. and that can be stimulated through the sinful nature. But I also believe that you can appeal to people in such a way uh, where, where, they, where they are able to respond uh, in moral agreement because the law of God is written in people on people's hearts. But, but having said that, I, I don't equate that with saving faith. I say all that to say, I'm not trying to be condescending to anyone. I'm telling you, you're being played because there are people who are being condescending uh, to the so-called black community and to others. Because you brought up Chris evangelicalism. I think they're being played on the other side of this. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, they're being played to think that you know, if they can wed themselves to government policy and influence, that somehow they'll, you know, they'll come out successfully uh, because they've done so. Um, but that, that never works. We're supposed to be lobbying for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That's our lobby. Right. That we, we, we are ambassadors of the king of kings. We're not ambassadors of any earthly king and any earthly power. Second Corinthians chapter five. Amen. Ambassadors for Christ. Amen. Right. Yeah. So, uh, we were talking about him being uh, the government wanting him assassinated too, or having a hand in it. So that next part, he's talking about, okay, you, you took your civil rights case to the government and look what the government did for you. He's like, he's arguing that, okay, we need to go beyond our own government and take our issues yeah. as black, as black Americans to the UN. That put him in very dangerous, very, right. very dangerous territory. And so the government was like, oh, no, we can't have that. Right. Right. And, 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 and if you're listening, what Chris is referring to is not a hypothesis. There are now declassified documents that demonstrate, uh, you know, what we're saying, uh, that you can research. Mm -hmm. And so he, he went, he goes from the uh, econ uh, economic at first, and then he talked about political or governmental structures. And now he's talking about he's going to start touching on the church here or the religious aspect. So he goes, uh, so I studied this man, Billy Graham, who preaches white nationalism. That's what he preaches. I say that's what he preaches. You know, that's how he said it. The whole church structure in this country is white nationalism. You go inside a white church, that's what they're preaching, white nationalism. They got Jesus white, Mary white, God white, everybody white. That's that's white white nationalism. I wouldn't say that that categorizes the true church, but I, no, I not at all. Yeah, not not, not at, at all. all. I get what he's saying, though. I, I get I do get what he's saying, <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to make that distinction for him. Yeah, there's a, there's yeah. a sense of uh, existentialism coming from both historically white churches um, yeah. versus historically black churches in the oh, sense yes. of portraits of Jesus, mm -hmm. like like we brought up with Cone, yeah, and uh, you know. And, you know, Lutheranism has this, like, this blue-eyed, Ashkenazi, blonde hair, 
portrait uh, that you see in a lot of, you know, more Lutheran homes. But if you go to someone who's, you know, goes to church that's influenced by black liberation theology, is an um, African-American portrait of what Jesus looked like through the existentialism trying to identify. But we have to understand that um, there is an ethnicity that is associated with the Lord Jesus when he took human flesh to himself permanently forever in the incarnation of righteousness when he was born a virgin. And that's of the tribe of Judah. Mm. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, if you're from the tribe of Judah, if you're, uh, you know, a Jew, you have distinct characteristics, Sephardic Jew, not Ashkenazi. And so, again, it goes back to doing your research and understand what the Bible actually teaches and, right. and understand it. So. All right. So he, so, so he doesn't look like Kenny G or Nicholas Sanford. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I mean, the, you know, the, this whole thing, this is, yeah, like you said, like you said, Duran, <laughs> he, um, I mean, what you said in a sense, I mean, what he's saying here is, is does not, that's not Christianity. Yeah, you got to distinguish between. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Goodness. But no, when you said Ashkenazi, that, that, that's what drew to my mind. Just pale, you know, oh, pale figures. All right, yeah, cur- curly Fred, hair. Fred G. Sanford. Curly blonde hair. Kenny G. With with the saxophone too. <laughs> he says, uh, so what he does, the way he circumvents the jealousy and envy that he ordinarily would incur among the heads of the church. Whenever you go into an area where the church already is, you're going to run into trouble because they got that thing, what you call it syndicated. They got a syndicate just like the racketeers have. I'm going to let that sink in for a second before I continue reading. I'm going to say what's on my mind because the preachers already proved to you that they got a syndicate. And when you're out in the rackets, whenever you're getting in another man's territory, you know they gang up on you. And that's the same way with you. You run into the same thing. So how Billy Graham gets around that instead of going into somebody else's territory, like he's going to start a new church, he doesn't try to start and tr- he doesn't try he doesn't try and start a church he just goes in preaching Christ and he says anybody who believe in him you go wherever you find him so this helps all the churches and since it helps all the churches they don't fight him well we're going to do the same thing only our gospel is black nationalism his gospel is white nationalism our gospel is black nationalism and the gospel of black nationalism, as I told you, means you should control your own, the politics of your community, the economy of your community, and all of the society in which you live should be under your control. And once you feel that this philosophy will solve your problem, go join any church where that's preached. Don't join, and this is why we focused on black liberation theology so much. Yep, coming out. <clears throat> Don't join any church where white nationalism is preached why you can go to a Negro church and be exposed to white nationalism. Because when you are on, when you walk in a Negro church and see a white Jesus and a white Mary and some white angels, that Negro church is preaching white nationalism. But when you go to a church and you see the pastor of that church with a philosophy and a program that's designed to bring black people together and elevate black people, join that church. Join that church. If you see where the NAACP is preaching and practicing that which is designed to make black nationalism materialize, join the NAACP. Join any kind of organization, civic, religious, fraternal, 
political or otherwise, that's based on lifting the black man up and making him master of his own community. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the speech, the ballot, or the bullet. Now, I know, well, I, I, I know yeah. you want to say something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll definitely say that's not Islam or BLM. You know, what he's offering is not a solution for either because, you know, he was extinguished from, the again, the very people who he was advocating for and whose platform he believed he was, uh, he was helping. Um, so him being a black man, they took him out of his context uh, permanently. Uh, but I would also say, you know, you have to understand how things have digressed to the point, even with what he's saying, you know, some might hear NAACP and, and again, you have to look at the history of things. Where are they today versus where they were in 1964, given the context that he said what he said, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I think you can draw some conclusions from that. But, you know, obviously we dealt with black liberation theology. So you see that that's his presupposition. Uh, his presupposition is black nationalism. So, you know, he wanted his constituency to align themselves with that goal and that goal alone. Um, I'm saying that that's insufficient, but I'm just also saying that we ought not to let the modern uh, so-called black nationalist movements claim that they belong to what Malcolm was espousing because he actually throughout this whole speech undressed them. Mm-hmm. And so this should leave you with a sense that all of it is futile apart from biblical Christianity, uh, that there's really, you can't hang your hat on any of those uh, ideological platforms because of where they all end up inevitably. So, in our in our last few minutes, I, I just want to go back up to where he talked about the church being a syndicate of racketeering. I just think he's he's really hitting on something there, especially when you look at modern evangelicalism today, and and how it's run, uh, almost in the sense of being like a mafia, as we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, can you guys touch on that a little bit as we? Uh, exit yeah i mean i i think you know i think that's definitely the case and i think it it'll take more courage to deal with that than it will the things that we're talking about although you have to be courageous to say what what we're talking about but yeah i mean you know you can look no further than any social media platform if you find yourself even expressing uh a congenial disagreement with the way a certain action was taken and within the scope of modern evangelicalism, you know, they will certainly uh, in some respects, hush you, uh, silence you or treat you as though you're a fool, a cultist, um, you know, and, and, you know, but again, I mean, I think, I think you have to ask yourself how aligned to the world is that systemic approach to how you deal with God's people. Do you have to be, to respond in that way. Uh, I also just think anytime that you eliminate critical thinking and biblical exegesis and the fact that you're holding people to the standard of living out what they proclaim, wherever you eliminate that, whether it be in society or in the religious sphere, then you're going to end up with fraternal, uh, fraternal spirit, or you're going to end up with uh, yeah. a certain, a certain fraternity and a certain, era in which, uh, you know, partiality 
is how men advance forward. And so I'm, I'm not afraid to speak against that because one, I have the solution. I've seen the solution, uh, which is the word of God plainly taught, plainly lived out and all the things that Paul, the apostle and the apostles taught. If you actually follow that, you find yourself free from those things. Uh, but two, um, because I'm not owned by any of those facets. I don't have any ambition to advance through, you know, partiality or slandering people, um, you know, or just throwing rocks and hiding my hands. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't really live in the world where I have to think about what men feel about me in order for me to be validated. I'm really looking at what is God commending. And so I have to move forward in what he commends, even if all men uh, believe I'm a fool or believe, you know, I've gone off the reservation. Um, I would, I would politely invite, I, I, there are some specific individuals I have in mind that I would politely invite to have a conversation with me. Um, because I think that there are some individuals, you know, I see it with Trump and I see it with, I see it with a lot of people in our society and I'm not comparing myself to these, but I see it's easy to make a caricature of, of men. Right. And then, and then with groupthink, because the issue I have is the collective groupthink that builds this fraternal organization that I think Malcolm was against. And Malcolm built the fraternal organization. The Nation of Islam was very much a fraternal organization. So it's why he was, he was really intimidated by them. But I think any time that you, you, know, you, you put people in position where you take them away from the, the, uh, the, 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 you take them away from the ability to think as individuals and stand before God, uh, and hold themselves accountable before him, you have groupthink, you have collective mindsets. And then if you tell people, this is how you have to conduct yourself and you hold before them fear and, and you, and you play on the fact that, you know, most people desire to preserve themselves at all costs. And so when, and, and Jesus to be his disciple, he commands the very opposite. And so if you put that in front of people, most people are going to criticize individuals that are trying to help them think through what they're involved in. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, I think now, you know, do I think that it is known to people that they're established on the basis of some kind of fraternal order and mafia? I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that everyone knows that that's what they're doing in many of these places, but I think it's out there with regard to authorship. I had a professor who was lamenting in seminary at the time that he couldn't get his books published, a renowned professor, because he felt like there was a conglomerate, a mafia in the publishing realm that would not publish his material because his material went against some of the other authors that were in his stable. Um, you know, what I would tell my brothers and my brothers who would want to have an impact in that world is if they won't let you have your own channel, uh, uh, pray to God, Make one. Learn wisdom. Create your own channel. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that he concludes with, with these remarks and these features about the church. This is mm -hmm. how he ends. Yeah, I thought that was that. Thought that's, that was, that's very interesting. Very, very interesting. It was strange to me. Yeah. Because I mean, usually you the last thing you say in a conversation is really what you wanted to communicate to people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Like on a phone call, yes. Like you'll. Oh, by the way. Yeah, you get through the small talk first and the weather, and then you can. Clear. I mean, but but I think the same applies when you're writing a speech. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you, you know, you you wanna you wanna open up. You don't. Uh, you you wanna open up with like a shock effect. 
and you don't want to lose your audience yep. and you got to keep them going. And so you see a lot of applause and laughter throughout this and he's taking shots and everything. But in your conclusion, you want them to remember your last point. And it's interesting that he brings this up at the end. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I so think, I think part of it is in a paragraph further up where he says, so I say in my conclusion, the only way we're going to solve it is that we unite. We have to work together in unity and harmony. And His black ecumenism. Nationalism, yeah, and yeah. black nationalism yeah. is the key. So he wants black nationalism in the church and black yeah. nationalism in the streets, black national in the, nationalism in the government. Yeah. And it's, it's, a sad, it's a sad story with Malcolm X because, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone teaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. Right. Yeah. And so um, he says here his gospel is black nationalism. Yeah. And that's antithetical to the true gospel. Right. So you, you tears are shed at the end of this when you read this because, you know, you, you hear the enemy's voice through the, the conclusion. This is what he really wanted to get across. Absolutely. And so uh, Malcolm X was uh, used, you know, definitely used by the enemy. And you know what by, I would say the about the, you know what I would say about the enemy? He's typically right when he accuses his own. Oh yeah. You know, he, he doesn't have any correctness or truthfulness about him when he's accusing God's elect. And so, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> brother Chris, it's a question that I think is a whole other episode, man. I, I, I really think, um, I think people have to really begin to ask themselves, what are they involved in? And, you know, I think until people start doing that, um, they don't present a danger to the kingdom of the, of darkness at all. Uh, they may think they do, but, but they don't, you know, and, and in our social media generation, people equate effectiveness with how many people like what they're saying. Um, right, right. you know, God, God is not operating that way in his kingdom. It's, it really is what he commends. And oftentimes man will commend things that, that, that God hates. And so, right. you know, if you're acquainted with apostolic teaching, as it relates to scripture and you're acquainted with the personal work of Jesus Christ and you're literally uprooting evil, wherever it may be found by the proclamation of the truth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think you most people are going to hate what you do and hate you for it. Um, and they'll use either slander or flattery in, in, in order to uh, express that towards you. And and I think, I think he was, I think he was jealous of Billy Graham's success too, because oh, because look yeah. because look he identifies himself as a parachurch so this helps all churches and since it helps all the churches they don't fight him well we're going to do the same thing only our gospel is black nationalism he's right. identifying himself also as a parachurch in competition with billy graham i'll take i would take exception to billy graham's soteriology and yep. his easy believism and yep. all the rest because i believe the enemies was also working through that and, yep. and distracting people from the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. Um, so uh, that's how you can, sh that's how you show like even him coming out, like you said, the enemy even is accurate when he's accusing his own. Um, you have, these guys are really on the same team. Yep. And so yep. he's identifying himself as that too, as a parachurch. Yeah, it's a precedent. It's, it's a precedent, Eric, that I'm, I'm acquainted with today that sometimes people, criticize each other because they're jealous of each other's platforms sometimes oh, yeah. it's not really about truth it's sometimes there's a lot of fighting back and forth between not competing entities but entities that wish 
uh, they were both um, extinct due to the fact that one is more influential than the other. But that and, actually that actually goes back to Rome, where the, yeah. the the philosophers would stand on their little stoops next to each other and they would hurl inserts insults at one another to try to draw followers over to their side. I mean, what what Malcolm right. X is doing here is no different than the rhetoric of of Rome. It's, right. It's oh, yeah. Different. In a diatribe. Yeah. Throughout. Yeah. I'll 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 tell you what what I am concerned with in the evangelical scope, even as it relates to society, even as we look at society independently, is I don't want people to do what they do because men or a man has said so. I want that to stop. I want that to stop in this stuff that we've been talking about. I'd like to see it stop in modern evangelicalism. I want people to begin to make decisions because they are clearly convinced by the word of God and they right. can prove that that is the conviction be, behind, uh, behind their decision-making. And I believe across the board in society and in the even the so-called modern evangelical movement, I believe that those things are absent. Like a lot of people can tell you, I agree with this action because a consensus of people around them agree with a particular action on, on, and I'm talking societally and religiously, but you know, few people can say the word of God says this, it says this, it says this, and this is why, and then remain consistent over time in that conviction. And so mm -hmm. you begin to trace their actions and go, Oh, they're getting that from God's word itself. Like that's why they do what they do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I believe what we're dealing with today and why this podcast is even necessary even if it's only to encourage us and a few listeners, I think it's because you're not seeing that today. You know, I think a lot of people are just saying, you know, they're saying, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm this, I'm that. And their actions, you look and you go, yeah, that looks just like how the world would come to its conclusion. So you're not seeing the consistency. You're seeing professions, but you're not seeing consistency. You're seeing confessions, but you're not seeing consistency. And so there's a, there's a, there's a disconnect, but, yeah, there will be there will be time uh, for us, I think, to address the very dark corners and circles of what takes place in the religious realm um, under the under the yeah, false yeah. flag that people we, use for Christ. Yeah, as we go through like uh, ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. Oh yeah, and this is probably going to be another series, even more extensive because you're talking about. Absolutely, there's a lot to talk about. There is a lot. There yeah. is a, a you lot get into systematic theology. Oh yeah, it's a lot to cover. Yeah, so. But I'll 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 end my my words in saying I'm thankful for the people who are listening to this. I I pray mm -hmm. that it encourages you. I pray that you can test what we're saying um, with not only thorough research but in line with the standard of God's word alone. And um, you know I I really do hope that our voices are becoming more and more clear and shining brighter in a very, very dark world, uh, even if it's to a few. So, you know, I often get to go back and read the encouragements and it encourages my heart that people take the time, uh, you know, to listen because we're not using the conventional marketing schemes of the world um, and amalgamating it with how to get the truth, truth across in order to increase uh, viewership or listenership. I mean, we really are relying upon God's spirit to convict and provoke uh, people mm -hmm. to begin to listen, so. Yeah, and it's just time for it's just time for people to, I'm talking to Christians, it's just time for us to put down these paradigms and this pragmatism and all these manipulative methods that are being used in the church and and 
and all this going along to get along with the world and bringing all these false worldviews into the church. It's time for all of that to stop. It's time for, for Christians to start fighting and standing on the truth, standing on God's word, advancing his kingdom, um, uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel, rightly dividing the word, standing flat-footed in the pulpits and preaching his truth, whether people like it or not. It's just, it's time for us to, to, to stand. Um, and right now I'm challenging you, if you're listening, those of you who are listening and, you, and you're Christians, to examine yourself and, and make up your mind which side you're going to be on. Um, and then I'm, and those of you who are listening and you may not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm calling you to repentance because that, that is the only way to be saved. Re repent of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your savior so that you can be on the right side because the wrath of God is soon to come. And I'm telling you, it's not something that you want to experience for eternity. So it's, it's just, it's time. It's time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of change. And uh, I, I know I've talked to a lot of people about um, people out there in organizations trying to do things, but, it starts on an individual level with the change of the heart. It starts on an individual level with the change of the heart through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. That's where true change comes from. And that's what we at the Biblical Christ Research Institute want to see. We want to see true change, hearts being changed, lives being changed through the gospel and the word of God. And that's why yeah. we do what we do. And Chris, I'm going to post the gospel presentation also on mm -hmm. here for, the, for those listening. As, uh, from the Biblical Christ Research Institute, we put together a gospel presentation that we wrote out. So I encourage those uh, that are listening to read that. Let me bring that bring that up. Go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted. To... Oh no, that was it. Um... Yeah, yeah. This is. I mean, it's always you know, it's always a blessing to do this. I, I I definitely want people to understand that what is you know you know what what we really are aiming for is for people to to know Christ and to be known by Him, and you know ultimately the glory and honor for whatever he accomplishes through what we've done here is, is going to be his alone. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I just, I implore, I implore our young people to begin to really think about not only the world in front of you as it relates to you, but just really think about the world in front of you as it relates to the return of Christ. Um, and then also I, I really want to implore you to have courage, uh, be courageous you know, use your voice for courage sake. Don't get involved with the collective thinking and group think and, you know, all the, all the campaigns to try to crowd out your voice and to bring your voice uh, into the collective really begin to think uh, about the, the world around you. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to do this podcast as long as God allows to help stimulate that in people, um, you know, in Christ. So, yeah, I, I, I hope we can get to a hundred episodes or more. So <laughs> yeah. we have plenty of material. Yeah, we yeah. Do. yeah, we got plenty to talk about. So yeah, if uh, those listening are convicted about what Chris was was saying, I, I put up here the gospel presentation because we're gonna we're gonna say you know that about Malcolm X and mm -hmm. you know he's presenting a different gospel than we need to present. You know the, the true true gospel. True gospel. And yeah, so absolutely. there's there's a, a faithful presentation of the gospel that was written out here that the link i put there we encourage people that are listening to read that 
And and it is an extensive presentation of the gospel. It's not yeah. truncated. It's not cut. It's not sanitized. It's the gospel. So please take your time to go through that gospel presentation and read through it. And I pray that if if you do not know the Lord, that I pray that once you read that, uh, that the Holy Spirit would work upon you and that your heart would be changed and your life would be changed for, for the gospel and for God's kingdom and his glory. So that's uh, episode 12. Again, thank Eric Powers and Deron Gladden and, of course, Michael Wellen and Matt Lawrence, my, my brothers in Christ who and my co-laborers at the Biblical Christ Research Institute. I'm just glad that, you know, God has impressed upon us to, to do this and not only just do it as audio, but to do it live as well so that more people can see it. Mm-hmm. So next week, uh, I don't know what we're going to do yet. <laughs> we'll talk about it and just we'll go where the Lord leads us. And the following week when Eric comes back, um, uh, we'll do uh, the triage, but we'll do a more extensive uh, discussion of the doctrinal triage about how the uh, modern church has made tiers of, you know, primary doctrines. These are essential. These are non-essential. And have adapted it as their principle of interpretation of the entirety of the scripture. And and how how dangerous that is. Eisegesis, sure. And how dangerous it is. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that, gentlemen. Thank you again for having me. me. This is good. It was excellent going through this. Uh, just going through, you know, Chris, you reading through Malcolm X's um, speech here is really good. I appreciate it. Yeah. I just look forward to doing more things with you guys, man. But thank you guys for staying with us for so long. And our, 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 our live recordings tend to go an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Just depends on what we're covering. So we thank you for being patient with us and staying with us this long and listening to us. And we pray, pray that you have been blessed by it. And we uh, just hope that you have a great week. Pray that you go back and review it if you need to. And feel free to email us, bcritrainofthought at gmail.com if you have any questions or feedback. And we'll, we'll get back with you as quickly as possible. Uh, also, our auto, audio recordings are on SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadios, and Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. So if you use any of those to listen to podcasts, just look up BCRI Train of Thought, and all of our episodes will be available on those uh, streaming outlets. So again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. has been Train of Thought, a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. For our written articles, go to bcri.wordpress.com. And for sermons, go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. For comments and questions, email us at bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.